Hi there, listeners. Welcome to the Experiential Table Podcast. I'm Cynthia Simonian, your host and founder of Hidden Rhythm, and I'm also the creator of Cooking Class Business School, where I help culinary pros create and market profitable online cooking classes so that they can experience more fulfillment, flexibility, and freedom in their lives. Today, we're talking all about community, mainly how to find your people, engage with them, and convert them into paying students. In our crowded online world, relationships are important now more than ever before. It's simply not enough to have the best culinary skills or a beautiful professional brand. You absolutely have to connect with people on a personal level. Community building is key to business building. It's just a fact. Today's guest definitely understands the value of community as it's obvious she makes her audience a real priority in her business. Joining us in this episode is Rama Ginde, the chef owner of Wannabe Chef. She's a private chef, holistic health counselor, educator, and teacher who is passionate about sharing her mission with the world online. I'm thrilled to have her on the show today to talk about how she's using something that each and every one of you can access right at your fingertips to grow her culinary business. So let's get this show started. Hi, Rama. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, before we dive into our conversation, let me give a little background info on you for our listeners. As I shared earlier, Rama is the chef owner of Wannabe Chef, a culinary business that offers virtual classes, online courses, private chef services, cooking classes, and more. She's a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and Institute for Integrative Nutrition. In her work, Rama teaches women and their families how to cook plant-powered foods smarter, not harder. Most importantly, her mission is to bring back the true essence of cooking, the togetherness, the shared experience, the enjoyment, the community, and of course, the fun. I'm sure we can all relate to her mission, right? All right, Rama. So you have so much culinary experience behind you. It's beyond impressive. I want to start at the beginning, though. Was it always your dream to go to culinary school? You know what? It was. I think when I was about 15 or 16, I realized I wanted to be a chef like as a job. And for the longest time, I'll be honest, I wanted to be a doctor until I realized how much blood is involved and how many years in school. So cooking has been always my passion. And it was instilled at a really young age from my mom and my childhood. And ironically, my mom's my business partner too. So it's kind of a full circle right now. Yeah. And we're certainly going to ask about your mom, Miss Anita, <laughs> who makes an appearance in a lot of your Instagram lives. And I love it. She's right there with you. Yes. Okay. So you were 15, 16, you wanted to become a chef. So for you, was it like graduate high school, go straight to culinary school? I mean, was CIA at the top of your list? That was where you wanted to go? I applied to a couple of culinary schools, but it was always my dream to go there to CIA. And after, I think I was a senior in high school and I did like the whole college tour, you know, stuff, check out other colleges and see what you want. And at like 17, I fell in love. I'm like, I know a lot of people say, you know, it might not be the smartest thing to go right into cooking school, you know, because your mind can change or you might want to get like a business background. But I knew it. I was like, I am going at 18 and I'm going to get my four-year bachelor degree there. And I want to be a chef forever. And I still feel that way. Like every day I wake up and I'm super passionate with what I do. I was just telling a friend this morning, I could do it like for free every day. That's how much I like it. So I know I'm in the right time. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that advice before when you know you're not sure what your passion is, you're not sure what you should pursue. When people tell you, oh, 
do something you love. It's like, well, what does that mean? And I think one of the questions is if you could do anything and get paid for it, what would it be? Or something like that, right? And it's like, you do the thing that like, even if you didn't get paid for it, you would still love doing it every day. Exactly. And so I feel so strongly about that. Like, of course, there's the days where you're working all day and I've got three little ones, you know, and I have a sink full of dishes and I'm like, do I really love what I do? And then I'm like, yes, I do. You know, even with the sink full of dishes, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I really wouldn't. Yeah. And you have, like you said, three kids. So you are a busy woman. Yes. Unbelievable. So you graduated from the CIA. And then what was your next move? So I went to the CIA, got my bachelor's. Then I got my first job at Hyatt Group of Hotels. And I did the corporate management training program there in Washington, D.C. And during college, I actually worked at John George. I got my externship at John George. So I you know, kind of had my feet wet there as well. John George before, John George after. And then I got a job at Thomas Keller's Bouchon when they first opened in the Time Warner building in New York City. So after working, you know, in a couple of places, I realized that, you know, I love the industry, but I know that I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to not work weekends if possible. And I just, you know, I wanted to teach. Like I was already informally teaching people how to cook, you know, family, friends, getting really intrigued by William Sonoma and Macy's offered these cooking classes, right? These rec cooking classes. And I was like, you know what? I can make a profession out of this. I really think I could. So like 23, I actually started my own business. So I went into people's private homes. And then like a year later, I found a brick and mortar storefront that became my first cooking studio. You opened that at 24? At 24. Yeah. And ironically, I was pregnant with my first child too. Wow. So which one was your first baby? The school or your actual child? I'll be honest with you. I was just telling my mom and she was like, you remember when you signed the lease and you didn't know you were pregnant. And then about two weeks later, when like, I was like, wow, I'm really tired. What happened? And I'm pregnant. Pregnant with a new storefront and a baby. Oh my gosh. You signed the lease before you found out. That is crazy timing. Yeah, it was crazy timing. Definitely not very planned, but the best kind of plan I could ask for. You know, I only know my business with my children. And so they have become a huge part of what I do. Right. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea that that's how close those events were. I mean... And you figured it out. I mean, I think that's the lesson here, right? You figure it out. You make it work. Yeah, you figure it out. Look, my first baby, she's 12 now. I can't even believe that, to be honest. I, you know, nine months, of course, you're pregnant. Then I had a store for nine whole months. And then by that time, I figured out a way. I mean, I brought my pack and play to my office. She became like the store mascot. (laughs) So clients and students wanted to meet her and hang out with her. And it was really sweet for Halloween. I actually put her in a bumblebee costume for wannabe chef. Oh, just so fun and so cute. What's the story behind the name? Yeah. So I wanted something catchy. I wanted something really accessible and fun and kind of informal. I wanted that kind of feel to get through my students, you know, where I'm a professional chef. I have the background, sure. I've worked at some great restaurants, sure. But what I really, really wanted to get across to people and future students is cooking should be fun. It should be accessible. We should take the word chore out of cooking and actually just get in the kitchen to just get in the whole kind of feel of going back to basics and cooking for yourself and cooking for your family, you know, and not having that pressure that we have to be perfect in the kitchen or, you know, who cares if your rice doesn't taste like it did last week and it's different today, you know, it's still edible and it's delicious and it's good. So I wanted want to be chef to be something kind of fun and slang. 
And then I also thought, you know, it's beast. So it's double E, like want to be chef. I just love the whole concept of like bees. They're the most hardworking insects out there and produce, I guess, the oldest and never goes bad foods, honey, you know? So I just love that whole concept. I mean, I can go to a whole tangent with bees. (laughs) Well, we'll do another episode on the story of bees. That's great. So you started your studio. You said that was 12 years ago and it was a cooking school only, right? Yeah, just cooking school. It was a really cute, kitschy, you know, kind of bed and breakfast feel cooking studio that sat 14 people on a big island. And we did cooking classes for kids, birthday parties, after school programs. We did a girls' night out and family parties, corporate workshops. So it was a great space that made you feel really homey. Right. And you say was. Do you not have it anymore? What happened to the studio? So I don't have it anymore. It's been about... So my third child is eight years old and I kind of measure everybody from like my business with my kids' ages. So it's been about seven years and I had it for five years and the business grew every year. And obviously, like I had the three kids in, in the four and a half, five years I was there. And my lease actually ended and my landlord hiked up my rent. So I decided to restructure and kind of take a hold of my life and what kind of life I wanted for myself and my family, if that makes sense. I didn't want to work six days a week, you know, put in 75 hours and have three kids. So I kind of just had a moment where I had to figure out and kind of restructure my career and my life to make it work for my family. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good realization. It's like sometimes the business we think is our dream is your dream for that moment. And then you grow out of it in many ways, right? Whether it's wanting to spend more time with your family or just wanting to not work every weekend. And it sounds like it was the lease was the trigger that made you really make that tough decision. Yeah, it was a lease. And I was a couple of months pregnant with my third child. And I pretty much knew this is the way that it was going to go. And I think in life, you know, for like any business owner, you have to really be flexible. You know what I mean? And I think we all know that from the type of year that we've had. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you closed the studio and started doing more from home, right? Were you doing like private chefing classes in your home? What did that look like? Yeah. So I closed the studio and I actually rented a temporary studio for a year afterwards, which was great. And from there, I organically started going to people's and to clients slash students' private homes. So they were like, you know what, Chef Rama, can you come to my home? That would be amazing. You know, teach a class here, or, you know, I would rent out church kitchens or rent out other commercial spaces, you know, by the hour for my classes. And so I started doing that. And I actually found that I could be more flexible with my schedule. And then ironically, my cooking class students became clients who were like, you know what, Chef Rama, I love learning from you, but I'm really busy right now. Do you practice off? And I'm like, hmm, I didn't think about it, but it's a great idea. So that's kind of what happened. You know, it's just one thing to the next. Sometimes we're not looking, things pop up. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in that. I feel like when you take action, it leads to momentum and Things that feel serendipitous, they are, but usually it's because you've put yourself in a position to have that happen in the universe. I'm getting all woo-woo here, but you know, I don't believe in a lot of coincidences. I do think that most of the opportunities you have are because of something that you've done to put yourself in a place where you can accept it. Exactly. 
Exactly. All right. So let's talk about this last year because it was a crazy one. And, you know, I, I've been kind of an outsider looking in on everything that you've been doing with your business online. And you've been doing virtual cooking classes. You have this Facebook group that is, I'm just going to say it, totally buzzing. Can we use the pun? Can we do it? Yes, we can. I love it. Totally buzzing. And you're going on Facebook Live with your mom. You're doing these challenges. I mean, it's really clear that you have an online strategy. So let's talk about 2020. And had you been teaching online classes before then? What happened to cause you to pivot your business online? Sure. So a couple of years ago, I had realized that, okay, I am not getting any younger. <laughs> Again, I get these kind of you know things that come into my head and I start thinking and they kind of help me make my next business move. I'm like, I'm not getting any younger. I actually hurt my foot. And I had to wear a boot, you know, one of those like really heavy boots to kind of help one of my bones and my foot repair itself. And then I was like, you know what? Oh my gosh, I'm not getting any younger. I can't be on my feet so long. You know, now I can, but the next 10 years I can't, I'll just get too tired. And I was like, how can I still do what I love, you know, teach, cook, but not spend all those hours standing in the kitchen? I thought, you know what? Why don't I create an online course? You know, I've seen people do it. I didn't see too many people do it for food. Why don't I think about this? So I would say about three years ago, I started kind of just getting more of a social media presence, thinking this could be like my 10-year goal. And I was like, oh, I have time. You know, I'm still young, but I'm getting older, you know, year by year, but I still have time. So I thought, oh, I would just kind of, you know, go on Facebook, do these Facebook lives, get more into Instagram. And you know, then I could monetize from that eventually, but no rush, because I was still teaching in person and private chefing. But again, hurting myself on my foot, it kind of dawned on me that I should start thinking about my semi plan. So like I said, I was online already. And most of my business, again, is 95% at that time in person. So fast forward to last year, when the you know pandemic hit in March, I had so many classes booked for March and April and the spring because spring gets busy. And overnight, I had to cancel everything. I had to refund money back to people and clients. And at that moment, you're like, is this it? Like, Am I just going to close my business? Is it the end of all that I've worked for? Did you think it was just a 30-day shutdown and we'd be back? Or did you think that it would be much longer? I thought it was a 30-day shutdown. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll start to reschedule the classes and parties and you know, tell well, not to worry, we'll be back in action in May and you know, this and that. And then of course, like <laughs> a whole month goes by and you're like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Then of course, like I have three kids and you know, their life has turned upside down too. So I thought, of course, I should really be aware of, you know, their schedules and their feelings and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure we've all felt that way. And I put it out into my Facebook group and to my followers online. And I said, Hey, you know, would you guys be interested in a free family cooking class to keep your kids entertained after school and, you know, keep you excited to cook and, you know, get some fun into your kitchen? And so I started offering free cooking classes, like little 45 minute classes. They were hosted on Facebook. So they were basically a Facebook live and I would send out a list of what to buy beforehand. And this was the first time I taught a live class, like an interactive live class. And then the first month, people liked it. And then afterwards, I said, you know what? Why don't I just put a nominal fee? You know, because I'm going to get into in person. It's May. I'm going to get into in person for sure, right? We're all like, for sure, by May, we're back in business. So the nominal fee was like $10 or $15. 
and people were signing up and you know it was getting really busy and i was like wait there's something here i think i could definitely charge a lot more and i think i could definitely add more value and i think the classes could be longer you know the live classes so then i started to create series of classes an after school kids program a parent and me class healthy takeout series for adults. So people were like, oh, Chef Rama, I'm so craving my favorite ramen noodle spot, but they're closed. Oh, I want to learn how to make pizza, but I can't eat like the pizza from my pizza shop because it's kind of getting a little you know, heavy for me. Like I want to make it healthier and stuff. So I started doing that and all the classes were running and people were really excited. And, you know, I took something where I didn't think that it would translate so well, you know, cooking, as you know, right? you're touching, you're feeling, you're smelling. And so I was a little bit nervous about that, but it worked out really well. And I mean, a year later, it's a growing business. It's almost like wannabe chef 2.0 because I'm not doing any in-person classes right now. It's all online. Right. I was going to say like, you're still just, you're all online right now. Right now. Yeah. I think I got one class in person last summer and that's it. That's crazy. And I think it just goes to show, like you said, you've got to be flexible. And by putting something out there for free, seeing how people responded, then realizing, okay, I'll charge $10. And now it's, of course, more than $10 for people to take your classes online. Really cool that you learned through iterating and just putting stuff out there versus like overanalyzing it and guessing what people would do. You just gave them the opportunity to react and respond. Yes. And I feel like there's no perfect timing, right? To try this type of stuff. I think you just have to go with the flow. I think sometimes the more open and you have open lines of just like conversation back with your people, you know, I think you're just better off versus kind of like, okay, I'm not going to put it out there because the brochure is not perfect or the menu is not perfect or the timing and the date is not perfect. You just kind of got to go with it. Yeah. So let's talk about your Facebook group because it's clear that when you started announcing these lives last year, you had an audience already online. So had you created your Facebook group before 2020? Yes, I did. So my Facebook group, Wannabelicious Soiree, Professional Secrets for my chef, was created about three years ago. And it wasn't so active, I would say, you know, the first year, it was just kind of like, what is a group versus a page? I mean, I really did not know that or, you know, the pros and cons between both. I mean, it takes a while to build momentum. I mean, even like if I look back to my first year of the experiential table group, it literally was me just posting and maybe one person would like the post, but it certainly wasn't this like vibrant community that it's grown to be now. And I've looked at your group and it definitely has a lot of engagement. Yes, exactly. And I think, like I said, I think you cannot overanalyze your posts. I think you have to be as conversational as possible and treat your community like your best friends. I mean, I asked my best friend like, hey, do you like Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks coffee? Like those are the type of questions, you know, or what are you making for dinner tonight? Or, you know, what's your nightcap right now? Like, what are you drinking? Are you having tea? Are you having hot water with lemon? Are you having a glass of wine? Are you having bourbon or scotch? You know, so kind of things like that, where when I started to post that type of stuff, I would say in the last year and a half, I noticed that my community was really into that and they really loved it. You know, it wasn't like I had to share a recipe every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And why do you think they liked that type of content? Again, I could be wrong, but I think they liked it because it was just a sense of fun, you know, and laid back. And it wasn't, it didn't have that stuffiness feel. Like, let's talk about how to make the most perfect asparagus bisque right now. You know what I mean? Like, maybe their mind wasn't into making asparagus bisque or they just weren't there. Like, they were like, wait, what is asparagus first? Or what is a bisque? You know, 
I kind of wanted to go more into the kind of just like the why, you know, of why you should cook anything really, or, you know, just kind of get them thinking about food even. Right. And like you said, it's fun and it's light and asking someone if they're like a Duncan fan or Starbucks fan. I mean, that's an easy response too, right? It doesn't require them to have a ton of knowledge or invest a lot of time in learning something. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Like I seem to get attracted to those type of groups as well. So I was thinking, okay, if I'm feeling this way, I want it lighthearted. I wanted something that I don't have to be typing, I don't know, a whole paragraph, you know, as an answer, then I should create those type of questions for my own people, which I did. So I was like, you know what? Moms or, you know, families right now are exhausted. They're just burned out from the day. They're tired. They're worried. You know, what's something that's going to be lighthearted and fun? And so I find polls really do well in those groups. You know, I find emojis like share your favorite fruit, but not with the word with a, um, you know, like little drawing or like emoji. Share the last food picture that you've had on your iPhone or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And how are people finding your Facebook group? So word of mouth, they'll invite a friend or two. If I'm part of another Facebook group and people ask like, hey, where can I learn more about plant-powered foods or where can I learn easy snacks for my kids? I will say, hey, join my group. You know, We are really fun and laid back and we talk about all things cooking and fun and family. You know, So I'll mention that that way. I also have an email list. So I'll send that to them through there. So just things like that. Yeah. Is it a private group? So do people have to request to join? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then do you ask them anything? Yeah. I ask them, will you, you know, take part in the group <laughs> and talk about, you know, food and recipes and cooking? I ask them for their email. And then I ask them, what is their biggest struggle like right now in the kitchen? You know, what is it that they just kind of that stops them from cooking? Yeah, that's great. And that's something that I recommend to all of my students in cooking class business school. It's like if they want to start a group, make it private. Yes. It's searchable, right? Anyone can find it, but it's private to join. And then you can put up those membership questions, which, you know, the third question you mentioned, I mean, that is a golden user research question. Exactly. And I think once you kind of get that, it preps them in their mind, right? To know what to look forward to. They get a feel of the group even before participating in it, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm sure we have people listening who are thinking about starting a group on Facebook. Maybe they're a member of a few and they know that it's a great way to build community, but something is holding them back. So what would be your advice for them if they are like on the fence, not sure, maybe overanalyzing it? What would you share with them? Honestly, three things. One is do it because it's fun. You know, when you want to start a Facebook group, do it because it's fun and not something that you have to do on your like list of things to do. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. I look forward to going in there and like chatting with them. You know, I'm not really planning out my content to the T in that group, especially there. I'm making it very like fun and conversational. So then I, you know, as a business owner and chef, I'm excited to get in there. It's not, you know, a chore. So I think that helps me, me personally, just kind of be there more as well. The second tip is don't overanalyze every post, just post something. And hey, who cares if you post something and no one comments? Who cares if you're there on a live and you know you get, I don't know, five views? It doesn't matter. You showed up, you were consistent and you were there. And that's so important. Yes. 
Absolutely. Let's talk about Facebook Live because like I said, I watched the videos that you did with your mom. It was like the five days around the world. And I don't even have an Instant Pot. And I know this was Instant Pot focused, but I was still watching them because I was like, what are they going to make with just three ingredients in an Instant Pot from like Italy, for example? It was really fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, so we host these challenges, free ones, you know, kind of get people excited about our offer, which is, you know, our cooking classes, our live ones, or our pre-recorded courses. So these challenges give them a sneak peek, kind of, you know, what it would be like for like a full-blown class. And, you know, I think with Facebook Lives, again, I started doing them officially three years ago. And I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you know more than I do. There's a tactic, right? When you first start with them, you kind of have to, you know, go on the live and then you kind of share it to your own personal page and you should do them on your business page and then share it to other groups, you know, that might be interested at the same time, kind of, you know, get them hooked in and then in the end, share your offer or your call to action. And so I was doing them like that in the beginning. And I will say that actually brought in a lot of success in the end, not initially, but after a while, because people had a chance to see my personality, my teaching style. They saw the kind of food that I taught. And then they kind of were like, okay, she's on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. every you know week. I'm going to go and check it out. And then after, you know, I would say during the pandemic, we just came to show value and support, you know, like, hey, we're here. What is it that you're stuck with? Or what can we show you? Or, you know, with this challenge, it was, let's get you in the kitchen, even with using a store-bought sauce for your Instapot. Like, don't make the sauce from scratch, but maybe cut the onions from scratch. Right. So some people may not know what a challenge is. And I think you did a good job explaining it, right? So it's ultimately a marketing strategy to build up excitement and momentum. And then the goal, though, at the end of the challenge, right, it could be three days, five days, whatever. But then at the end, you invite them to do something, right? Exactly. So it was a five-day challenge. It was five ingredient Instapot meals through five countries. So like the first day we were in the US and we made a vegan hamburger helper, you know, something kind of old school and brought it back. The second we went to India and we made our kitri, which is kind of like a braised lentil and rice dish. So I think when you kind of do these challenges, I think it's good for you, you know, as a chef slash baker business owner. But I also think it's so beneficial for the clients and whether they sign up for your final offer or not, they're going to always think about it, right? Like, oh, wow, she did that three-day challenge and I learned so much and that was still for free, but I still learned so much, you know? Yeah. In the group, you did the videos live, but you didn't give the recipe. I noticed that. So how did people get the recipes? You are good. You are good. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I don't even an instant pot, but how could I even make this? I don't have a recipe, but I knew you had them somewhere and people knew where to go. I'm just going to take a step back, actually. So what we did is we created a landing page. I don't know if it's too technical. Oh, it's all good. Bring it on. We're here to talk marketing. Yeah, we created a landing page where we said, Hey, we want you to join this challenge and we would love for you to. And if you want to join the challenge, please type in your email. And with the email, you'll get the videos every day and you get the final recipe. So the people that signed up for the challenge through email got both, got the videos Facebook Live, right? Like a link to the Facebook Live, and they got the final recipe as well. The people that didn't sign up for the challenge, but were part of the Facebook group, just got the video, but not the final recipe. So we kind of asked our community to go a step further 
you know, to get on our email list so we can start to market to them a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like off of the Facebook group. Yes. Yes. I'm all about email marketing. I feel like social media is a great way to engage, but ultimately you do want them on your email list. And so it sounds like you are also a believer in that. Exactly. And I think, of course, you know, telling people, you know, just really being really honest, like, hey, we're not going to be posting the final recipe here. It's only going to be for the people that signed up for the challenge using that landing page. You know, so we shared the landing page 10 days before the challenge went live itself. You know, I think it's really important to be a little strategic about the way you do things because if not, they might not take the next step. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's smart. It's smart. And I I didn't feel scammed at all watching the videos. I wasn't like, oh no, I can't believe they're not giving me the recipe. Because at the end of the day, I knew I could just sign up on your landing page and get an email to me. And that's the exchange in value, right? It's like, I'm giving you my email and you're giving me five days of recipes. Like I think I'm getting a pretty good deal, but that's really smart to think about it that way. So how many challenges do you do a year? I mean, do you do a lot of them? I think it's like a newer thing I've been doing in my business. So in the last two years, maybe we've done five of them, four or five. So I had done a Super Bowl apps one last year. I had done three easy breakfasts challenge. And you know, it was so simple. It was back to basics. It was basically like how to make a scrambled egg, a perfect scrambled egg, you know, day one. Day two was how to make oatmeal. You know, it was very basic, but people got a lot of value from it, especially because you're a chef. I would watch that. Like, I want to know how like a chef makes scrambled eggs. I would watch five different chefs make scrambled eggs in their own way. It's just fun. Exactly. Okay. So I want to now talk to you about another marketing principle because you've really applied everything that I find just very strategic in your business. And so it's clear that you have this niche of plant powered foods. Right. You talk about it a lot in your challenges, your group. So, can you tell us what plant powered foods are? And then, what I really want to know is how did you figure out this niche and decide that that was what you wanted to focus on? Plant powered foods, I mean, it came about a couple of years ago when my mom actually went to Bali for culinary school. Your mom is so cool, by the way. She kind of had that like eat, pray, love deal going on, you know. Um, She decided to switch careers and retire from the fashion world because that was her main business. I knew it. I knew she was in some glam. Really? (laughs) Uh, I had a feeling. Honestly, I don't know your mom at all, but I feel like I kind of do just watching these videos. And I was like, she's so sophisticated and like so put together. I just, I had a feeling fashion. Thank you for confirming it. I can sleep tonight now. Oh, I could tell her. I love that. So she went to Bali and she was like, you know, I'm a grandma of four. I'm going to figure this out. And I, I love cooking. It's my passion. So when she went to Bali, she ended up signing up for a raw vegan culinary school program. And she had no clue. She was like, wait, what? I eat meat all the time. I don't understand why I'm here now. And so she went and she loved it. And then she ended up going back there again, like nine months later to do the level two part of the program. And, you know, with her just sharing with me about, you know, vegan food and raw food, I was like, that's cool, mom. You know, being Indian, we have a lot of vegetarians in our family, just you know, through the culture and stuff. So I was exposed to a lot of, you know, vegetarianism kind of, you know, outlook on life and things like that. So it always intrigued me for sure. But I knew I could never give up meat or seafood at all. So when she came back and we were just kind of hanging out and cooking together, which we do and stuff, and she was like, what do you think about, you know, us cooking more with vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds? By that time, I will say I had done a whole 30, three times a week. 
So I was like, oh man, mom, I cannot be eating all this meat all the time. I don't feel so good with it. You know, I do appreciate the whole foods part of it, you know, um, non-processed foods, obviously, but I can't do that much meat. I also do appreciate the whole concept of good fats, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of pick and choose kind of how we cook going forward for our classes. So both of us came up with plant powered, where basically it's crowding your diet in with vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, and good fats, and then making the meat slash seafood your side dish. So flipping it around, you know, whereas if you have a six ounce piece of chicken, three ounces of broccoli and three ounces of potato, make that into six ounces of broccoli, three ounces of chicken and three ounces of potato, you know? So ironically, we both started eating that way. And you wouldn't believe it, Cynthia, my mom lost 25 pounds this past year and I lost 10. So combined eating this way, we've lost 35 pounds. Wow. That's unbelievable. It reminds me a lot of what Michael Pollan says, right? Like eat food, not too much, but mostly plants, something like that, right? Like just focus on the plants. I love the fact that, okay, you didn't completely give up something that you didn't want to give up. I mean, it's plain and simple. You were able to kind of find a way to make it work for you. And clearly it is working for you because you've been able to eat this way for a long time and you're seeing the benefits. Exactly. And I'm just seeing the benefits for myself and for my family. And my husband was like a meat and potatoes guy. I cannot believe he turns around and tells me like, can you believe I'm craving tofu tonight? I'm like, what? Really? Or he'll say like, oh my gosh, I ate that chicken. I don't really feel so good. Like, I think it's good that we just eat meat twice a week. And I laugh because I'm like, it's not like I had a plan at home. It just happens that way. Yeah. Yeah. So then you also do a lot with the Instant Pot, right? Yeah, we do. So the Instapot is our best friend for sure in the kitchen. I wish I like sold them and made money off of it, but I don't. (laughs) But uh, I grew up with a pressure cooker, you know, growing up with the lentils and beans and rice and, you know, my grandmother, both my grandparents and then my mom, pressure cooker, you know, like the old school one on the stovetop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom bought me one. I think when I first moved into my own place, she like got me this like heavy duty pressure cooker and I was terrified to use it. I'm like, it's going to explode. Terrifying. So when the Instapot came out, I was like, this is amazing. And I can get my hands on this and I can understand it. And then, of course, being a mom of three kids and just having a busy life, even as a chef, I have to use it like just for time saving. Well, I was going to ask you, you're a professionally trained chef. Did you not look at the Instant Pot and be like, oh, like, what is this? I was so against any appliance for the longest time until the Vitamix came out. (laughs) The Vitamix blender and the Instapot are my two favorite appliances. And I think it just goes back to the fact of cooking smarter, not harder. It's like, why can't we have this Instapot that makes the perfect rice in there versus standing on the stove and then having your kids running around? You know what I mean? It just makes so much sense. It's like, why not? So did you introduce this concept of plant-powered foods recently to your community or was that something that you were always talking about when you started the group? Such a great question. Recently, I would say two-year recent thing. And we didn't make a big deal out of it. You know, like, hey guys, now we're not gonna, I don't know, teach any chicken in our classes. You know, the menu started going that way. I think a lot of people are very aware as well, right? Of plant-based foods and diets and just, you know, being vegan and things like that. And so I think no one really asked or said anything. It's kind of weird. Like no one said anything. So it's not like I've made a big change. I just organically did it and my community hasn't really said anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people who weren't into it kind of faded away and the people who were excited about it are still engaging. Exactly. And I would say no one really has, I mean, not that I know of, maybe they have, but I haven't really seen anyone say like, 
oh, I'm not going to take a class because there's no chicken on the menu or something, you know? And the ironic thing is a lot of people from my brick and mortar storefront 12 years ago have become, which is crazy to me, my virtual cooking class students. Like they've kind of come back and like showed up. Wow. I don't know if this has happened to you, but let's say they moved away and couldn't take your in-person classes, even if you had them. Like now, no matter where they are, they can still cook with you. Yes. I have kids who took classes with me when they were like nine years old are now in college or back from college or learning, you know, when they're in school. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Okay. That's scary. That's like when I see somehow on Facebook, see the photo of the kid I babysat when he was two and he's like in college. I don't know if that's the right math, but like, it's terrifying. And the weird thing is, like you said before, you never know when things come back. I could swear to you, Cynthia, that at one point, I mean, it's the truth. I don't want a storefront anymore. And I don't want you know my own place, like my own studio. And I was like, I probably will never see these people again because they want a cooking class and I'm not going to find a place like a studio anymore. But life has a weird way of unraveling itself, you know? Yeah. So I want you to tell me what you see in your crystal ball. Now that you have really gone all in on online and it's working out well for you, what do you think is kind of the future of online cooking classes? Because you have a really good pulse given that you've done the brick and mortar, you're doing it online. Where do you see things in, say, a year from now? You know what? I see things just like basically the schools do and like jobs, basically a hybrid version of the business where I think people are definitely craving that in-person kind of feel. I definitely think that I see people zoomed out. You know, that's a thing, right? But I think it's going to be really seasonal. Like I picture the summer or warmer weather, maybe people wanting more in-person experiences. And I picture it being when it's colder or, you know, kind of flu season or things like that, people wanting the virtual, especially because they know it's doable and they've tasted that virtual feel and they've had a great time doing it. So I think it's going to be like a really interesting kind of seasonal feel to the business where I think we're going to offer both. I think we're going to focus more on the online virtual class end of things, but I think that it's going to be pretty seasonal from what I understand. Yeah, it'll be so interesting to listen back (laughs) to this episode and the others that I've done. And I've asked people like you the same question. And most people are on the same page that it'll be hybrid. We're not going to go back to in person only. And, you know, now that people understand how this can work online and it has worked, it seems weird that we would let this go completely. And I'm sure that I'm not going to let it go completely at all. If anything, I'm trying to make the user experience even better, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that because you mentioned Zoom fatigue, which is a real thing. So how are you thinking about the user experience of taking your classes? So I'm thinking of a couple of things. You know, I feel like I'm just talking to like my best friend right now and I'm just, you know, kind of speaking what's on my mind. I'm thinking, how can I offer a better experience to my students? So I'm thinking of maybe sending them groceries, like not the list, but actually sending them the food itself, you know, because no one wants to go to the grocery store or if they don't have time to, but they want to take the class, you know, something like that. We're also thinking of adding some sort of, I hate to say the word, not workbook, but some sort of handout with the classes, you know, not just the recipes themselves, but something else with that, you know, to kind of have them think beyond the recipe itself. And would it be a physical booklet that you would mail to them? Yeah, it would be a physical booklet that we would mail or, you know, if they wanted to be more green friendly, they could just print out on their own at home if they wanted. 
Yeah. So both of those are basically kind of bringing a physical element to a digital experience. Exactly. And the third thing that we're really trying to work on is user experience to sign up for a class itself. I definitely felt like I struggled with that in the beginning. It wasn't as easy. You know, it was Venmo and PayPal, but it wasn't as professional. So we are working in the back end with that of how can we Amazon-esque the experience. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that's something that people who are teaching online cooking classes, like you're not e-commerce experts, right? Like most of you didn't work in Amazon for 10 years before teaching online. So there are principles to buying online and what that experience looks like that you've probably never had to think about until recently. But it sounds like you have at least identified like it could be better. And that's always the first step, right? Acknowledging that there's room to improve. For sure. And that's why I think like offering low ticket items, you know, as a business, maybe, you know, if you felt comfortable to charge for your challenge, even if it were $5 or, you know, charging for a workbook that you could download, um, getting people used to exchanging some sort of money with you. Then when you offer something at a, you know, higher price point, they're like, okay, you know what? I already gave her five bucks. Now I might give her 50, you know? So I think. Kind of getting that feel for people to do it, especially if you're just starting out. You know, I think that's super important. Yes. Oh, that's so true. Because sometimes people are like, oh, they could just get the recipe online. Like, how can I justify them pay me? Exactly. You're not just, you know, reading a recipe out loud. <laughs> like you're teaching something, you're creating a full on experience. So you better charge. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest difference with finding a video on YouTube or Google, right? Versus in these classes. And that's the biggest thing that I have to, you know, kind of always work in with my mindset. It's like, well, like there's so many free recipes and free videos online. Like, why would you sign up for a class? The bottom line is you're signing up for the experience. You're signing up for the entertainment. You're signing up for the fun and the personality. You know what I mean? Exactly. They're signing up for Chef Rama's class, not just a class on how to make something in the Instant Pot. Exactly. So that's why I think where the community feel comes back to it. You know, they got to get to know you, who you are, what do you like? You know, what do you eat? What apron are you wearing? You know, where's your favorite grocery store? People love that one. Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, you know. I love how you brought it back around to where we started because it's true. It comes back to community and connection and just being real. And you do such a good job with that. I do have one final question for you. It's a question I ask everyone who is a guest on the show. I want to ask you, Rama, what is the single most important element of an incredible experience? Ooh, the single most important is honestly, is not taking yourself too seriously. Ooh, It's having fun. Like you should be having fun. They're going to be having fun. You mess up, own it, you know, laugh about it, make fun of yourself. I think it makes it more fun. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It happens when I teach. It happens on this podcast. I'm like, whatever. Like it said the wrong thing. Let's keep it going. I mean, we just... Hey, you're like a human being, right? Like you're not doing business with a robot. You're doing it with a real person. Exactly. That would be Amazon, the yeah. robot. Exactly. Like, we're not like that. No way. Not at all. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Rama. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is super fun. It was fun. I feel like we could have just kept chatting forever. Okay. So I'm pretty sure our listeners want to learn more about you, your classes, your Facebook group, all that good stuff. So where can we send them? Sure. So on Facebook, we have a Facebook page called Wannabe Chef. We got a Facebook group that one that we were just talking about, Wannabe Licious Soiree. We're on Instagram, Wannabe Chef. We also have virtual live classes, you know, basically focused around plant powered cooking for families, kids, adults. And that's on the website, www.wannabechef.com. 
And last but not least, I'm basically very accessible. So if there's any questions that anyone has, I mean, feel free to reach out. I'm definitely here to kind of cheer each other on, you know, and show support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I forgot to ask you, TJs or Whole Foods? TJs. Oh gosh, TJs. I got to say. Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's us in this household too. All right. Well, we will include those links in our show notes. And remember everyone, it's wanna be like the bumblebee. So two E's. Oh, and I forgot we have a course called the Ultimate Guide to Plant Powered Cooking in an Instapot. I can't believe I forgot to say that one. So you're too focused on your community. You forgot to actually talk about your product. Seriously, that's one of our main products. And that was quite the labor of love. That's our one and only pre-recorded course that we have right now. And that's with my mom and I. And we have a blast. We teach over 22 recipes in that course. And we demystify the Instapot. So honestly, it's like the cooking robot. Yeah. And it's plant powered. So once again, like you don't have to be vegan. Like this is something that you can integrate in a diet where, you know, maybe your partner eats meat and you don't. It's flexible. Well, like I said, we're definitely going to include the links to all of the things you mentioned, especially your course in our notes for the show. Now, listeners, if this interview has you thinking about growing your own online cooking class business, then I want you to check out my free business cookbook. In it, I share my six essential steps to creating and growing your online cooking class business. You can get your copy today at hiddenrhythm.com slash cookbook. Now, before we hop off, I do want to share an amazing review shared by one of you. Fallon from The Sprouting Kitchen writes, As someone who is currently teaching cooking classes, this podcast is incredible. I'm always learning something and inspired by the guests on the podcast. Cynthia is so genuine and asks perfect questions. Thank you, Fallon. I'm blushing. I look forward to this podcast every week. If you look forward to this podcast, just like Fallon does, then please do us a favor and help us grow. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're tuning in. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, get excited to get experiential.